0: I grew up, as you know, in Southern California, in the desert of Southern California, near Mexicali, Mexico, because uh, my dad was in charge of the border station uh, there. Um, and so to get out of the desert heat, uh, we would leave and go to San Diego in the summer. We went over there all year uh, to, to enjoy San Diego, but in the summer, we would go rent a beach house and hang out at Imperial Beach, uh, and that was always a lot of fun. Uh, when we would go, all of the San Diego uh, teenagers always wondered why we from, uh, we didn't have tans uh, and when we told them where we were from and realized that it was 120 degrees there, that no human could go outside and get a tan, then they're like, I totally understand that one, man. And so uh, I, I lived in San Diego at, in beach homes many times, and then my dad eventually moved there. So uh, that's where I met my wife is in, in, in San Diego. So I love that place. Um, while I would go over there uh, in the summers uh, when I was a teenager and beyond, um, we would always boogie board. Uh, and I don't know, have you boogie board, boarded? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, it, it's a lot of fun. You don't have to try to stand up on a board and, and make it. And, 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 and it's just a lot of fun. So uh, I've been out uh, out of Imperial Beach uh, in all kinds of waves. I've been sucked out in riptides and never thinking I was going to return um, and just had a lot of fun. But I've watched a lot of, uh, like when I was 14, 15 doing this, I watched a lot of older guys in their 20s surfing. I thought, man, now that's cool. So I've analyzed them because when you, when you're watching surfers, um, what is, what is basically their goal? why why are they out there? Catch a wave. wave. I mean, that's why they're out there. Uh, and so when you go out with them uh, and you're on your little big boogie board floating around in the deeper water out in the big swells, they're all just kind of huddled around out there, just waiting for the next big one to set up. And then when, when they get up on that board on that wave, what's the goal? Stay on the board for as long as possible. Right. That, that's the goal. It's pretty simple, uh, and so as I've done that many, many times over the years, uh, you can see the BCC'er out here. See him? That's a Burke Community uh, surfer right there. That's a tsunami wave. That's a big one. Uh, it's like, oh my gosh, that's gonna like take me out. Uh, when you look at our church, I, I kind of think I, I've always told you there's metaphors and everything, spiritual value in all that we do. Even surfing, surfing is a spiritual thing. Did you realize this? Like, how so? Uh, well, because God sends waves. Now no surfer out there can claim he set the wave up. No, the wave comes from God. And so when we look at our church by way of analogy, you are all now inducted into surfdom. You're all surfing. You realize this? I don't know where you're from, New York, wherever you're from. Uh, you are a spiritual surfer, because God has sent our church a massive tsunami wave. And we've been riding this wave for 15 straight years. And what's the goal of a surfer on a wave? Stay on your board ride it as long as possible. And so uh, what I want to talk about today uh, is how do we continue to to ride the wave that God has sent us? Because he's blessed us greatly. You know this, right? Uh, It's great spiritual growth, uh, uh, awesome uh, numerical growth. We've grown 281% in in the last 15 years. That's shocking. And we lose 20% of our people per year because what happens to them? Which is probably going to happen to some of you. What What is it called? they leave. Yeah. 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 Cause the army wants you over here as a Colonel or the Navy wants you over here as a captain. And so instead of you telling them, I can't leave, I got to stay with my church. You, yes, sir. I am leaving. Family's moving. And so how many might be leaving in this next year? How many? See, we'll pray for you. Uh, because I see you as you come back in, you know, you come in as a captain a Navy captain and you come back around, then you are maybe an admiral or something. I've, I've, I've been to the promotion services. So, so we, we lose people, but we gain people. And sometimes they cycle back through, but the church continues to grow. So how do we manage that tsunami wave of blessing? Because it is from God. He sent the wave. Uh, I'm gonna ask a couple questions. Uh, how do we juice the wave to get the most out of it? Uh, question number one, uh, to get the most out of the, the wave that God has sent us who in 2024 are you going to lead to Christ? Who? Well, you, you don't understand, you know, I just, I, I don't, you know, that's not my gift. You know, I just, I never closed the deal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Um, I sold deep sea boats in college. My roommate's dad owned the dealership in El Monte, California. Uh, and so the purpose of getting the person in the deep sea boat when they come in and they're driving a Porsche, Turbo Carrera, whatever they were driving, they got, these are expensive boats. You get them inside the boat, you can close the deal. Usually they're filling the teak wood, the leather, the, you're like, God wants you to have this vehicle. This, one. <laughs> I know it's a gas crisis, but you'd look great in this with a family. Uh, imagine if I get them in the boat and I'm like, Hey, it's, you know, Hey, it's over. And it's really good talking to you. I'll see you later. That's not the goal, right? I want to sell them the boat. Now is, uh, talking about crisis way more important, correct? Because we're talking about eternal things. So if you think, well, it's just not my calling to like close the deal. Oh yeah, it is. So who, who in 2024 will you lead to Christ? Now the New Testament church was all about this. All of them. They were so excited. The New Testament church founded in Jerusalem. Uh, they were on fire uh, for who Jesus was. Um, you wouldn't find them all caught up in how do you feel about Roman politics? how do you feel about the Sanhedrin politics? They weren't into all that stuff. No, it was like, are you saved or are you not saved? Because once they caught wind of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in time and space, because many of them were eyewitnesses or knew people who had seen all of the evidence of the resurrection of Christ. Once they understood all of that and were saved, that is, read the book of Acts, that is all they talked about, the resurrection of Christ. And so the, the head surfer back then was Peter. Boy, could he surf. Because when they were all gathered for Pentecost is when Peter gets up and brings the heat, as it were. In chapter two, notice what this spiritual surfer says and learn from him. Chapter two, verse 22. He's got thousands of people listening to him. What does he say to them? Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and signs, which God performed through him in your midst. So you've seen the miracles, only God could have done them. You've seen the evidence. Uh, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered up by the, who really killed the Lord? Well, he was he was killed by the predetermined and foreknowledge of God. It was a salvation plan. But he said, but you also had culpability because you nailed him to the cross by the hands of godless man uh, and, you, uh, and to be put to death. He said, but uh, on the flip side, verse 24, God raised him up again on the third day. Uh, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. You couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. Why? He's God. He's God. And plus he prophesied that he would be uh, raised the third day. And he said, if you lay my body down, I shall take my body up. And so he defeated sin and death. Once he presented what had happened in time and space, they they had killed the Messiah, but he had defeated sin and death on the third day. In verses 25 to 26, he talks about how the Old Testament prophesied uh, this uh, resurrection of the Messiah. They should have known it was coming. But then in verse 36, notice what he says. In verse 36, therefore, he's like a lawyer. He's going to bring his case to a conclusion. And notice what he says. Therefore, in light of all the evidence I just talked about, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, this one you crucified, this one who's wrecked, who is he? He's Lord, he's God, and he's Christ. He's Messiah. he's the anointed one. This Jesus whom you crucified, he, uh, he, he, he's the one who re- redeems us. But he goes on to say more. He says in verse 37, uh, now they heard this and they were pierced to the heart and Peter said, uh, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Notice he's, he's bringing them to a point in conclusion. Repent and let each of be baptized in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Now we need to say as a side note, because some people are confused and think to get saved, you have to repent and be baptized. And if you're not baptized, you're not saved. That's erroneous. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the Greek Greek text, the punctuation in the Greek text of the New Testament is not not uh, inspired. Uh, When you read the Greek text, there's no punctuation. Uh, you put punctuation in where you think it should grammatically go. So in my Greek Bible, it's called a UBS text, United Bible Society's text. I've gone through this in a graduate class uh, when I was taking a class in my fourth year uh, at DTS on this particular passage. Uh, and you can move your options around grammatically. What he says here is repent to be saved. And then parenthetically, oh, by the way, don't, don't forget to get baptized because you repented. And then there's another comma uh, after getting baptized, but you must be one who repents to get saved and ultimately baptized. But baptism doesn't save you because that's a work. Uh, Otherwise the thief on the cross wouldn't have never gone to heaven. Why? Wasn't baptized. But Jesus told him today, you shall be with me in paradise. How could he say that? Well, because he had faith in who Jesus was and he repented. And so Peter tells them, uh, I've explained to you who Jesus is. There's thousands of people listening. And then he tells them, what should you do in light of your situation? You should repent and turn to the risen Christ. He just closed the deal as it were and and actually called them to be saved. When is the last time you told your mother, your brother, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, a friend who you know doesn't know Christ, this is what he has done. And what are you going to do with him? I mean, you've actually asked him. Um, In John chapter four, uh, Jesus says this, and I know this is mixing metaphors because we're talking about surfing today. Uh, they hadn't invented surfing in Christ's time. At least I don't think so. Uh, Jesus was into the agricultural w- world, but notice what he says. He says, uh, don't you say that there are four months and then comes the harvest? Any farmer would say, yeah, that's how we roll. Uh, you you uh, plant your seed, you let, and it hopefully it gets rain and sun, and in about four months you've got a crop. So the answer to the question is, yeah. That's what happens. What did Christ tell them? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Why? He says they are, heart, they are white to harvest. So Jesus says, spiritually speaking, that the world is always in a state of harvest time. Spiritually speaking. You can't harvest unless you send out a harvester, right? The person who goes out like Peter to say, Jesus died for our sins, rose the third day from the grave. Uh, you're a sinner and you become saved when you come to know him by faith. Who wants to repent and turn to him? He asked the the question. So in light of uh, the methodology and and what Christ has said, if the field is white unto harvest, what are we waiting for? Um, There are many people who have been uh, saved through our ministry over the years. You've seen all the baptisms we've been doing. Uh, God has blessed us. But there's many, many more that don't know him. So what should we be about as we're surfers trying to get as far on the wave God has sent us? We should be asking that question, who am I going to lead to Christ? And if you've never done it, uh, just ask for God to make you courageous and brave and, and help you. So do you think when you present uh, what the gospel is, everybody's going to be in agreement? Probably not. Uh, you think you might be argued with? Mm-hmm. Uh, but speak anyway. That's what Peter did. Secondly, this logically leads to another way to keep uh, uh, the wave going that God has put us on. It's a logical question. Uh, who am I going to lead to the Lord? In fact, you should probably pray for them by name. God, I'm going to pray for so-and-so. And I want to see them saved this year. Second question, how do you do it? Like, how do you lead someone to Christ? Um, Now, we live in a a part of the country where there's plans for everything, right? Contingency plans. Do you work at the Pentagon? See, they're all quiet now. Yeah, I I work there. Yeah. Don't you have contingency plans for just pretty much everything? I asked the Army two-star general one time. Uh, I asked him, like, uh, what, what, how, how planned out are you guys in the army? You know, he said, "Sir, we are planned out at least 30 years for different scenarios." 30 years, unbelievable. I don't know how the how does the Navy roll? 40, 40 years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Air Force, 50. 50. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. This is degenerating. We're moving on. I won't even ask about the Coast Guard or anybody else. And the Marines. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Right, we know that's probably hyperbolic, right? Or maybe it's true. Uh, but we, we have plans. So here's the thing. We live in a planning society. How could you actually think, well, I'm going to pray for so-and-so to become a believer. You have a plan? <clears throat> I don't really have a plan. Like, what are you going to tell them? If you get the opportunity. Well, I, I, I don't really know. Uh, you should have a plan. So I'm going to do something I haven't done. I'm going to explain to you a plan. A method that you can learn, and I'll put it online tomorrow. If you want to memorize it, feel free. I memorized it in my twenties. I've used it—I don't even know how many times in my lifetime—to present the gospel to somebody. So, to present the gospel to somebody is uh, is pretty simple. Uh, back in the day, uh, people would memorize what was called the Old Roman Road, and the, people today might think, "Well, that's you know, that's outdated," you know? Oh, no, it's not. It's the gospel. Kind of works like this. You're talking to somebody that doesn't know Christ and you get the opportunity to talk about spiritual things. So you ask them this question. If you died tonight and stood before Christ at the gate of heaven and he asked you one question, why should you come into my heaven? What would you say? I've asked lots of people that question. I used to go door to door in Dallas on Monday nights knocking on doors asking people that question because it was a class I took. I did it as an internship in San Diego. I've walked all over San Diego, knocking on doors. I have heard all kinds of responses to that. If you die tonight and sit at the door of heaven, blah, 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 what would you say? I've heard all kinds of statements. Well, uh, you know, my my grandmother was a Christian and I'll I'll probably get in because of that. (laughs) Mm, That's not gonna work. Um, Well, my parents were religious people, really. Uh, Yeah, they were Christian scientists, yeah. Uh, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, I mean, I've heard, I've heard all of them. Uh, and so you listen to what they have to say. Uh, uh, and then you then move on from that to say, these things that you've talked about, like uh, your, all your religious works and things that you do, uh, those don't matter to God because all he's concerned about is the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. Would you mind if I told you, like, how, you how you become a believer? I, I can tell you, I've not been denied getting to share that. With very, most people will say, Sure. And so you, you begin your presentation. It's very simple. It's composed of two things. Bad news, good news. How many components? You can totally memorize this. How many components? Two with an opening question. Bad news. What's the bad news? Well, the bad news is, uh, according, to, according to the scriptures, um, is we're all born sinners. And if they happen to not believe in sinners, just ask them if they have children. Ask them, because i told you this before, because it's so true. When you have a child, whoever sits down and says, today, honey, is our lesson on being selfish. What parent does that? Today, we're going to learn uh, how to share. <laughs> yeah, because they come in like, tweet, right? And so, we're all born sinners. Uh, that's the bad news, and the scripture's clear. Romans three twenty three: all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, no exceptions. How did you become a sinner? Well, when your parents had you, well, where did that sin come from? From their parents, all the way back to Adam. Adam's sin was handed down to us. And so all man scriptures say are born sinners. That's the bad news. And they fall short of the glory of God, meaning there's no way we can work our way into God's presence because if we could, then Christ died for no reason. So uh, I grew up playing baseball. My arm is not what it used to be. Uh, I don't think I could throw anywhere near how I used to throw. So if we had a contest on trying to uh, go out into the parking lot with baseballs and throw down, uh, down and, and hit the uh, Lincoln Memorial from here. Worthy goal? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, are you going to hit it? You are not. You are not. Some of you are thinking, I could totally do it. No, 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 you couldn't. No, none of us would even come close. Why? It's too far away. There's no way we could do it. And that's what Scripture's telling you. You fall short of the glory of God. He's absolutely holy. So there's no way your personal works can ever work your way toward him. It's impossible. It's impossible of us to throw baseballs and hit the Lincoln Memorial. It's impossible. We're spiritually not capable of doing that. It's bad news. It's because we're sinners. Romans 6.23 of the Roman road is, the wages of sin is Death. The wages of sin is death. So if you come over, wasn't, I told you, Friday was beautiful. Were you outside in the garden? You were? It was, it was wonderful. I was just like soaking it up. I was like, this is amazing. Um, if I were to tell you, when it gets a little bit better weather-wise, and you come over to my house, I'll, I'll pay you to work in my yard. I need, not, not that I would do this, because I love to work in my yard. But just say, it, just c- case in point. I come over to my yard, and I'll, and I'll pay you to work in my yard. Okay, how much do you think would be fair? well, you know, minimum wage in California is 20 bucks an hour. I think I'll, I'll go for that. Let's play that here. Okay, okay. Okay, you come over, you work for eight hours. At the end of eight hours, what are you expecting? Pay. So 80, eight hours times $20 an hour, $160 minus taxes. So maybe $110. Uh, except, but you're expecting to get paid because uh, you work and those are your wages. What does the scripture say? The wages of being a sinner is death. What kind of death? Two kinds, spiritual death and physical death. That's the bad news. Uh, there is no way that you can get away from the fact that you're born a sinner. And then the wages of being a sinner, are spiritual death and physical death, you, you can't get out of it. Now, the good news is God loved us enough to give us an opportunity to get out of that situation and have life. So what's the good news? Romans 5, 8. What's the good news? But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. You can put your name in there. That's what I tell the people. Put your name in there. Christ died for Larry. Put your name in there. They make it a personal. Christ died for you when he didn't have to. We call this in theological terms, uh, substitutionary atonement. He died for you. Uh, back during the Civil War, there were some uh, uh, rebel soldiers called bushwhackers. They didn't wear a rebel uniform. They were kind of like terrorists. Uh, and if you were caught out of uniform, you were executed. And they caught these guys. Uh, and they, the Union soldiers lined them up to shoot them. Uh, And when they lined them up, there was a young boy standing next to the officer who was gonna give the command to shoot. And as he eyeballed all the guys that were gonna be shot, he realized, I know that guy, that one. And so he went to the commanding officer and he told him, "Um, I know that man right there. Uh, I know he's a dad. I know he's a father, a husband. I know all of his kids and everything. I don't have a family. And could you let me take his place? And the, and the the captain's like, uh, uh, no I can't do that he's like no I don't have a family no one's going to miss me but that man has a family would you let me take his place and eventually the officer said yes and they switched positions so when they fired that little boy died in that volley in the south there is a, uh, a, a grave uh, and on that grave is written this statement sacred to the honor of Willie Lear he took my place A tribute to that young man who died in his place. Because that man who was destined for death was a given life because somebody died in his place. That's the gospel, is it not? Jesus died in your place. And so if you break down the gospel to those terms when you're talking to people, they can understand what Jesus did for them. And so how do you secure spiritual life in light of what God has done? Romans 2, or Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. What does it say? For by grace, you have been saved through all your hard effort and religious works. Nah, you're saved through faith, Right? And that not of yourselves, uh, it's a gift he gives you. And it's not a result of your works. Why? Because we would boast about it if we did works. Um, what is faith? Does it mean that I have blind faith and I just check my brain at the door? No. Uh, you like roller coasters? You don't like roller coasters? Or you're into parachuting out of planes that are perfectly good. and but But like... Roller coasters, like the ones I've gone on, I went a couple of years ago when they finally opened the Mount Everest roller coaster down at Disney World. I went on it. Have you been on that? It'll change your life. You know, I got on that thing, but before I got on that thing, I'm eyeballing that thing. You know, I know it's new, but it's like, you know, I'm looking at the track, you know, at, you know how are the magnets stopping this? What was going on here? You're looking at the harness when you get in. I got broad shoulders. I get in the front of that thing. I pull the harness over me. I'm like, am I really in here tight enough? I wish I could go one more click and just really hold me up kind of loose in here and all, kind of, and all of a sudden, boom, shoots you out of there. Have you been on the ride? And you get up to the top and the, the track's bent and, and then it stops in midair like and then you're like, oh, wow, wow. And then that deafening sick sound when they release the magnet and you go backwards? Sorry to mess up the ride for you, but yeah. So when I got on that ride, I had total faith in the engineer who designed that thing. There was not a number in line. If you have questions, call this number and talk to the engineer who designed this. I just thought there must've been a really good engineer that I've never seen who knew exactly what he was doing with this team. And whoever the welders were that did all this work, they must've really known what they were doing. So I by faith... After I analyzed this thing, got in there and took off. That's like the Christian faith. I analyze what the Bible says. What does it say? I'm a sinner? Yeah, I know I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. Who is it, Jesus? I look at all the evidence, the biblical evidence, the extra biblical evidence for a resurrection that happened in time and space. And then I turn to him in faith. Faith based on the facts. Uh, When's the last time you challenge somebody? What are you going to do with Jesus. And then you followed up with, because they usually have like questions, you know, reasons why they don't want to make the decision. Ask them, what's keeping you from making the decision to follow Jesus? They'll tell you. Used to, back in the day, I wouldn't do this today because times have changed, but I used to take out a three by five card and say, What what are your reasons why you don't want to follow Jesus? Well, you know, what would my wife think if I were to do that? Okay. And I write down all their things. And I'm gonna turn the card around to him and show them and say, in eternity, when you're not in heaven. Will you find comfort in these statements? Not really. <laughs> no, you only find comfort when you know Christ. So you, sh- you need to know a method. So what should our church be about? Who am I going to lead to Christ? Who am I praying for? Number two, do I know a method? I just gave you a method. It has two components. What are the components? Bad news, good news. You got to learn two verses for each of those two points and then ask the question, what are you going to do with Christ? Uh, I would like uh, to see our church grow not just by church transfers, but by kingdom transfers. Many, many kingdom transfers. And then I want to talk about a third point. Uh, how do we accommodate our God-given growth? Because the wave God has sent us uh, has maxed out the parking lot and everything else, hasn't it? <laughs> so we just talked about theological things. So now we're going to talk about some practical things. We, we run around 23 to 2400 people per Sunday. Uh, there's usually around 480 to 510 children here. Uh, there's like 170 high schoolers, et cetera. There's a, a lot of people to send on our place. But have you had issues in the parking lot? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like there's only so many spaces. So, so I'm going to talk about some practical things to accommodate the growth that God has sent us. Okay. Number one, um, you need to consider where you sit in a given service, like the chair you're in. What in the world is he talking about? Okay. You might come into the sanctuary and and think, God, God has ordained ordained me to sit on the outside perimeter of the aisle. (laughs) Now, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, hey baby, the Lord does not want us sitting in the middle of an aisle because if we need to get out, I mean, I don't want to have to be asking people I don't know. No. So we sit on the outside. So so, so when the sanctuary fills up, it's usually like down the sides. You know, that's where the spiritual people live. In fact, some people have sat there for so many years, I think they think God told them to sit there. And sometimes they'll move on me, messes me up. I'm like, what's going on with your family? You've moved on me. Okay, that that type of thing. But if you sit in the middle of the aisle, which is the sweet spot for spiritual surfers, (laughs) what have you just done? I left the outside of the aisle open for all those other guests that are gonna be coming. So, cause you don't want to come in and like be stepping over people. Like if you're new, it's your first Sunday, right? Uh, Liz and I, a couple years ago, one of our couples, uh, they managed the Edelweiss Hotel in Germany. Uh, So they invited us to come over, uh, enjoy the hotel, uh, you know, see Germany, see the Alps take a ride up the Zugspitze and just have a good time. Uh, So then they, they got us tickets to go to the uh, Oberammergau Passion Play. Uh, It's all in German. It was totally awesome. It's like a six-hour ordeal. Uh, And so we got there late. Germans are not late. (laughs) We were late. And we got there late. We walked in, uh, and we see 5,000 people sitting there. And they don't speak English. And so Liz and I walk in with our tickets, and we eyeball, like, you know, where our our seats are. And they're in the middle of this really long aisle full of German people, very stoic-looking. And so I walked over there because uh, we got to go about, you know, 15, 20 seats in, in there, you know. And so I walked up to this German guy, and I'm just standing there, you know, with my tickets and everything. Uh, and he, he's not even doing eye contact with me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, hello, was los, we get the scene in, you know. what? And he won't even, nothing. And so we stood there, stood there, stood there. It's very uncomfortable. And then after a while, <laughs> this is funny, the, any Germans here? <laughs> yeah. So, so after a while, the guy stands up. He's about 6'4". He stands up, and he looks at everybody down the aisle, and he goes, I'll stay in. <laughs> Guess what that means? Stand up. And they all slowly rose. And Liz and I squeezed our little bodies in. Do you do not want somebody to come into church like that? You know, like they're standing there waiting for a seat in the middle of the aisle and you're like, I'll stay in. I don't know what it means, but Marty used it one time. Um, you want them to be able to just come in and sit down. Oh, well, that was easy, right? How do we accommodate our growth? God wants you to sit where? Yes. In the middle. Yeah, I had one lady come up to me after the last service. She's like, I am so convicted. You know, I love the outside of the aisle. I'm not saying you can't sit there, but you know, just make sure that the middle part's filled up. Number two, I told you this was practical. Number two, uh, we usually have about 30 to 50 cars in the shuttle parking lot down the street on Oakie Mill. You know this? Yeah, by the way, I want to thank all the shuttle drivers for the awesome job they do all year long. Um, Awesome. But 30 to 50 cars... I mean, two people per car, maybe I mean, we could put m- way more people down there because the parking lot is a problem isn 't it? You do not want people losing their salvation trying to find a parking spot <laughs> and so we need to com- call you to be committed to parking down the parking ride. Where is it? Old Keen Mill? If you shop at Marshall 's right behind that is a parking parking ride, park there we 've got signs set up, people you 'll see it it 's an easy ride uh, i don 't do it every Sunday, but I do it a lot of times. Uh, join them this is so important because I heard many times last year that we had on average 30 cars pull in our parking lot and pull out because there's no place for them to park and they didn't go to the parking ride that saddens me and so when you park down there and you free up a spot you're freeing up a spot for someone to come and maybe it's their first time to come and so God wants you to sit where in the church? in the middle primarily next Sunday should be really funny (laughs) (laughs) park where? Park and ride if you can. Um, and then uh, lastly, well, no, I have two more things. Um, how do you walk in the parking lot? Like, this is the most bizarre sermon I have ever heard. Where? How do you walk in the parking lot? Do you realize that there are walking zones in the parking lot? Yes. Have you seen them? Yes. Yeah. Have you disregarded them? Oh, yeah. Um, I just follow where God leads me through the parking lot. So, if Everybody coming here in the five hundred twenty-four spots we have out there all go where they want to go. Mayhem for people trying to get out because what do they do? All those people walking outside those walking zones they have to stop for you to go in front of their car. It's the Christian thing. Do you hear me? When you see somebody walking in front of you, you don't. It's not like DC where you floor it. You want to <laughs> pause, all right, and let them walk in front of you. So if you have people walking all over the place, the lines to get out of here are like. Eh, eh. It, it, it's, it's like insane. So if you're walking in the zones where you're supposed to walk, then everything flows more fluidly. So if you see two parallel lines with little lines painted in it, and they're what color? White. Where should you be walking? God wants you. And it's, after the service, it should be pretty funny. Everybody's like, man, like what he said. Yeah, yeah. And it's just traffic flow, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and now I need to talk about the parking lot. Because the parking lot is an issue, isn't it? I mean, I, I, after church last week, I waited forever just to back up to get in line to get out of here. And people could see me, it's the pastor. It's like, whatever. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I got no special privileges. Once the sermon's over, I'm like you, man. I'm like... <laughs> so I just sat there forever, you know? It's like, it's pretty funny. Um, We have 524 parking spots. That was designated on our site plan like 45 years ago. We're bigger than that. So what we are doing, we've spent several thousand dollars uh, to get our our engineer, Walter L. Phillips, to look at our property to ask us where we can put more cars. They have come back to tell us that based on uh, county codes that have changed, we can put up to (laughs) – this is mind-boggling – up to 115 more parking spots on our property. (laughs) (laughs) huh? Yeah. Like where? Yeah. You want me to tell you where? Okay. Um, What side of the building is this? North, South, East. This is West. West. Correct? Correct. All the army should know this. Is this West? West. West. So if you go out through there, what's over there on that corner? Fairfax County Parkway. And between us and Fairfax County Parkway is a forest. You know how they build everything here? You, You have to have a whole bunch of trees to camouflage where Coles is. You know, you can't see things. So, when we built all this, you had to have so much space between us and Fairfax County Parkway. They've, this is shocking, they've relaxed the rules in Fairfax County. Yeah, it's a wow thing. So, uh, let me see. Over here on the west side of the building, uh, where is this forest is, they're saying that we can now, let me find my, that we can put 60 parking spots over there. 60. Go around the little fire lane, 60 spots over there. Uh, Where the retention pond is, you know where that is? Retention pond? We can put 25 to the right of it. Uh, Remember the big oak tree that used to be over here on the other side of the building? Uh, A couple hundred year oak tree that was destroyed by the finger of God with that lightning strike. Remember that? We 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 can level that whole area and put cars over there. So it's amazing the places where we can put cars. Up to 115 more spots. So we're working at putting together a new site plan for the county. Uh, And if we are to uh, have the privilege of burying the retention pond, which we can now, and put tubing in there to direct the water, that gives us 170 parking spots. Is it free? No, no, no. Nothing's free here. Uh, So we're estimating about a $1.5 million project. But uh, on our 25-year loan on our new building— which we just took about four years ago, we only have about four, four and a half, five years left on it because of your amazing giving to God's program. So we've almost, I mean, we're on fast track and paying the building now. So we're planning for the next thing for the church to keep us surfing uh, to allow more people to park here. So what would I ask for? Um, pray for us as we uh, deal with the county. <laughs> <laughs> that when we presented them our site plan of how many spots we've got, they will look at that and go, hallelujah, yes. Will you pray? Pray that they'll be pliable. Uh, and then last thing I want to tell you before we leave uh, is is how do we guard our unity? It's important. How do we guard our unity? Is unity in a church a given? Nope. Nope. Uh, unity can be destroyed uh, with one person. I've seen it happen in churches over the years. So how do we guard our unity? We've had wonderful unity uh, over the last 15 years. Not that we're a perfect church, but but predominantly, we are a tight, united uh, brothers and sisters in Christ to the common cause. And that's why we've done so much for the Lord. We have an external focus, of reaching the world, but we know the devil is, he hates churches like this. Because what, what's he want to do? He wants it to get you fighting each other. He wants the doctrine to be destroyed. And so the devil works in two ways. And there's many other ways that he works. I'll just listen, listen to this two. How he destroys unity in church, just to remind you, he destroys it with doctrine, unsound doctrine. And he he destroys it with bad relationships, bad doctrine. So I would say in the day and age in which we live uh, and the doctrinal stuff that's uh, being brought into churches all around the country is related to wokeism. And it's that false notion that, yeah, there's all these things wrong with our country. uh, And if you just abide by what we say, then you're you're awakened in our culture and you're okay. So, you know, like there's a problem with the climate. We're all going to die. Okay, so how do I repent of my sin of contributing to the destruction of the planet? Get rid of your car. You know, get rid of this, get rid of that and repent of your sins and etc. cetera. Uh, that's not the gospel. These are all false ideologies walking into our, in our culture, uh, whether it's sexuality, whether it's racism. We have all these things that are problems in our culture, but the culture's answer to those problems is not of God. So they're trying to force the church at large to acquiesce and waffle on sound doctrine to embrace what the culture says. We are not gonna do that. You hear me? We are not that kind of church because we follow what the word of God says and truth never changes, never changes. And so we want biblical answers to the cultural problems because that's what brings unity. And so there's that constant tension in our culture and against your pastoral staff. We wanna have you pray for us as we remain true to the, the word of God. And we challenge you because it's that unity that, that builds strength to the body. And the other way the devil destroys the church is relationally. He gets you fighting amongst each other. Uh, I've always found it kind of amusing. Philippians 4, where Paul closes his letter to, and he says this. Imagine being in scripture because you had a fight with another woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I urge you, and I urge Sentechi, you guys all know who they are, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. I mean, help them. What? They're, they're fighting amongst each other. And as these two women are fighting amongst each other, we can't get the church unified to do the things God wants us to do. Have you ever been in a church where Christians are fighting each other? Oh, it's, it's a terrible thing. At my last church, I was sitting at my desk one day, working on a sermon, got a phone call. They're having a spaghetti festival at the church. Uh, the lady calls me, hello, you know. Um, we would just like to know on our committee, uh, what kind of tablecloths you want? Hmm? Well, what are my options? Uh, white or checkered? I don't really care. Pick one. No, 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 you're the pastor. Pick one. Uh, I don't know, I think of Italian food. I think a checkered. Okay, thank you. Praise God. <laughs> I mean, within 10 minutes, I got another phone call from another lady. Yeah, hi. Oh, hi, Doris. Yeah, what? I can't believe that you made the decision for checkered. And there was this huge fight over checkered and white. Does it really matter? No. I'm like, hold the phone. I don't care. I had all these women on this committee for an Italian dinner fighting among themselves. What do you think the devil's doing? I got them on Italian food. It's unbelievable. I had it. We, had a, we, we took over a grocery store. We converted one room to a nursery. They had a committee to decorate the nursery. And so these ladies were, you know, putting together like how to decorate it. Um, and so they came and they painted it and put up beautiful little teddy bear wallpaper and everything. And it was really cute, uh, like a pastel yellow. It was really cute. And then one really wealthy lady in the church who didn't agree with their color came in the next weekend and took down all their wallpaper and painted it herself and put up new wallpaper. How do you think that went over in the church? I came into the church and I'm like, why is it baby blue? What happened? Well, uh, there was one lady who didn't like the color. So she changed it herself. Those women were fighting They were Euodia and Sentechi. And so that does not help the church. I mean, that's the last thing the world should see going on in the church. Yeah, they they do that kind of stuff at my office. No. Here's how I'll put it to you. If you are a Christian and you have a problem with another Christian... 2024 in our church is the year that you solve that problem with that other Christian to tell them, I forgive you, whatever that thing is. I, I reinstate you, whatever it is, just work out your issue and don't let the devil get his hoof in there. Cause if he gets his hoof in, the rest of him comes in. And so constantly work at guarding our body in two areas, doctrinal, what is truth and relational. Surf's up. Did you know that? Surfs up. I have a slide that I think says "Surfs up." That's the cue to put the slide up. That says "Surfs up." Surfs up. (laughs) They're just meditating on the last point, I'm sure. So, surfs up. So, since surfs up, God's got much for us to do in the next year of leading people to Christ. Uh, I close with (laughs) "Aufsteien." Let me pray for you. Uh, God, uh, pray for the the body. Uh, Help us to cut deep into Satan's kingdom in 2024 by leading many people to Christ. Give us a rich harvest of souls. Uh, Guard us, protect us from the evil one. May there be joy, compassion, mercy, and truth. All the things that we need to exhibit may exude from us throughout the year. And we thank you for your rich blessing upon us as we've been obedient unto you. In Christ's name, amen.